0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies. Over 1000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com/allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com/a l a n. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Angela Voss. She's the CEO of Marketing Architects. On the show today, we talk a little bit about what Marketing Architects is. They've been a sponsor of this podcast in the past, how they're using TV and an all-in inclusive version of TV for marketers and advertisers that would like to use it to increase their reach. We'll also talk about a recently published report called Reach, Revenue, and ROI, Three Principles for Effective TV Advertising. And we'll pull in a bunch of analogous types of studies that have been done and you've heard me talk about like the long and the short of it from Les Bennett and Peter Fields and IPA in the UK, as well as we'll talk about our constantly favorite subject of Mark Ritson <laughs> and uh, and Byron Sharp and much, much more. We'll talk about how TV should be thought about differently today and why and what types of companies should be thinking about it. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Angela Voss. <laughs> Angela, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Alan. I'm looking forward to our discussion.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. It should be, it should be a good one. But, but before we get into the business side of this, I hear I should never challenge you to a one-on-one pickup basketball.
0: <laughs> well, I think today you absolutely could challenge me to a pickup <laughs> game and you'd be just fine. But I did play basketball from second grade through college. I played at n d s u in in Fargo. <clears throat> it was an amazing four years of my life um I will say though it it got off to a bit of a rocky start. both my first game hmm. of my freshman year and my last game of my freshman year were really embarrassing for different reasons. The very first game I ever played in you know you're all like excited and <laughs> like just just i mean even if you just go out on the court and just don't you know do something dumb it's going to be fine but I definitely lost my shoe in the first game (laughs) and so that was uh sort of embarrassing and then last game for a more heartbreaking reason we actually played in the national championship um that year and Mm. we were up by 20 at halftime and lost in overtime
1: (laughs) oh no
0: (laughs) (laughs) tragic ending to the freshman year so but great experience though
1: yeah, no, that sounds, I mean, it sounds phenomenal. My, mm-hmm. and she is not as accomplished as you yet, but my, my 15 year old daughter is, is big into basketball now. And, uh, I hope, I hope she sticks with it. So she's, absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah. I think just athletics in general are so great for much beyond high school and college or yeah. In college, like in mm-hmm. your, in your adult life, your professional life, there's just so much you can pull from it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, let's talk about you and and business. You are now the CEO at Marketing Architects. where did you get your start in your career and how did you end up as CEO at Marketing Architects?
0: Yeah, uh, I majored in mass communications at uh, North Dakota State. And my first job out of college was in digital marketing, actually, which was helpful later in my life. Um, (laughs) I worked there for four years and then I ended up Joining marketing architects in an entry level role. This is when we were solely operating in radio. Um, About a year after I joined, our CEO announced that we were going to enter the television space. And Mm -hmm. I have always had a love of a new challenge. And so they pulled me over to the TV side of the business. And I worked for many years helping to build out our team and determine how we were going to you know, compete with differentiation, mainly on the media buying side of things, Mm. and ended up sort of running the TV side for our media platform until about 2015. And at that point, made the leap over to our client management team to lead that team. And Mm. did that until 2023, when I took over my current role, which allowed our prior CEO and, and founder Chuck Engel to step back into an executive chair position for our business. So he can focus on Some other things as well, so it was all, you know, just really organic. You know, we're Hmm. we're about 125 people, and so we can can be a bit scrappy and and chart paths throughout the organization that makes sense for the business and for us. So it was super fun.
1: I love the fact that I mean, you you started sort of at the bottom and worked your way up. (laughs) Yeah, Um, you know the business in and out most Mm. likely. So that's awesome. Yeah and and congrats. I mean 2023 that's this year. So,
0: yeah, uh, congrats yeah. on
1: the new role, new elevated role.
0: I know um, it feels like it was just yesterday but somehow it's August. So, <laughs> it's like it's flying by.
1: It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Well, um I should say as well, thank you for being a past sponsor of marketing today. Oh, absolutely. I'd love for you to share just in your own words, you know, like wh- what does marketing architects do and who do you guys work with?
0: Yeah, certainly. We have been around as a business since 1997. Today, we operate solely as a full service TV agency. We place in both linear and streaming, but we, as I mentioned before, we got our start in the radio space. We were were founded by a statistician, which I think in itself likely helps listeners understand kind of how we're wired, right? Very data-focused, highly accountable. We look at TV as a space that is great at driving both immediate sales lifts as well as a real sustained long-term impact for businesses. And Mm -hmm. we have our entire model wrapped up in doing that successfully for our client partners through an offering that we call All-Inclusive TV. And essentially, that means our clients only pay for their media budget. And we as a business... Look for brands that are the right fit for us to invest our capital in all of the other necessary elements that will drive TV success. So, that's everything from strategy development and brand positioning to creative concepting, pre testing, full production, conversion tech to ensure that we're not just driving a response, but we're driving sales. And then, of course, all the measurement tech, both our own as well as third-party attribution to ensure we understand the impact we're driving and can optimize and scale effectively. And so it's quite quite different from a traditional agency model, but it's uniqueness really is what gives us the ability to drive disproportional and and transformational business growth out of a channel like television.
1: I love it. And we're going to talk a lot more about TV advertising, but I mean, I love the model and the fact that it's from a buyer's perspective um a client perspective is pretty it's pretty easy. <laughs> like Yeah, it, it, it know, is it, a lot like more it, simple. And and all all in one, including the measurement component, um, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. pretty attractive. Do you find yourself attracting a certain type of business? I guess for lack of a better way to say it, is there like a profile that you're looking for?
0: Yeah. I mean they're all uh national players, e-commerce offerings. Some of them have brick and mortar as well. Um Most of them are direct to consumer. We do have some, you know, more CPG based stuff as well, but they're all focused on transformational growth. A lot of them are, um, have maybe never been in television. They're, they've grown up in digital with some of the challenges in digital lately. They're looking to diversify, um, we're a great offering for them because we make a bet on them right? We lose with every single pilot that we put out there. We, we have to have a lot of confidence that it's going to win. And we're then because of the model centered on the same objective, right? Growth and scale is, is what we both want. So I really love that aspect of it. And I think, uh, it's, it really helps us with, um, really having that centered partnership together. And I think that, uh, shows up in our, our retention of our clients is really strong and it, it's very different. But once they, once they understand it, they're like, this makes so much sense. And the traditional agency model is so broken and uh, has been for a long time. So it's, it's a great win-win.
1: Oh, I, love it. I love it. Well, you just published a report. Um, I think it's titled Reach, Revenue, and ROI, Three Principles for Effective TV Advertising, which used your own data and case studies. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me what led to that report, and and why now?
0: Well, I think there there are a lot of pendulums in life, right? And I don't think marketing is is really exempt from that. We believe that uh, top versus bottom of funnel marketing is a pendulum that has swung back and forth from you know top of funnel channels being used to to drive success for some of the biggest names, some of the biggest brands that we know today, right? The Proctors and Gamble's and the Coca Colas and stuff, and um, and then there was the growth of digital and the pendulum swung that way. And I think it was around maybe oh, 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. I came across the long and short of it by yeah. Les Benet and Peterfield. And I was yeah. like, what is, what is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> not just the uh, the content, but the empirical evidence that was just right. laid out so cleanly and if you know if listeners haven't heard of it, it it talks about this the struggle between managing immediate response and developing a brand for the long haul and a lot of times marketers see short-term online metrics as the measure of success and we've done we've definitely had clients you know in that space and and talk with a lot of prospects in that space but that can really threaten long-term achievements and so anyone who's involved in the complex task of developing and evaluating multi-channel campaigns needs a real clear understanding of how short-term and long-term results can vary. And so we we sat with this for a long time and, and uh, debated it for many years too, because we were so performance focused coming back from, you know, Chuck being a statistician and being really rooted in performance marketing. And, but we realized that we too, when we took a step back, we're seeing what the IPA uh, was reporting through Les Benet and Peterfield's reports and and felt compelled to share that story. There's quite a bit of published evidence overseas. They've done a great job, especially in the UK and Australia, but the US has lagged behind a little bit. And so obviously with our role in television, it gives us a lens to be a bit of an am- evangelist on the topic.
1: Yeah. No, I, I love that report, the long and the short of it. And and you mentioned Australia, that some of the stuff that's come out of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute. Um,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: Byron of all folks. Um, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> who makes <laughs> a name a, for himself in more oh, ways my, than one.
1: <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. I, I think I, my, my favorite characterization of him is from Mark Ritson, who calls him the dark lord of of branding <laughs> and marketing. I know. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is funny that it, and as an American, a little disappointing that we're mm-hmm. always behind the UK. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but kudos to them. It, it, it's really important research and really important studies. And uh, something we talk about actually pretty frequently on the show is yeah. the, the balance between long and, and short-term marketing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me a little bit more. I, I know one of the concepts that you talk about in the report is this notion of reach over Tight targeting. Um, mm-hmm. How does how does that apply as you apply it to TV, and and what does it look like when it's done well?
0: Yeah. So when we think about broad reach marketing, right, we're referring to those campaigns that are you know crafted with the intention of connecting with with vast numbers of people, and we find that broad reach is often disparaged in this digital age, right? Where yeah. advertising can be so meticulously targeted to those most likely to become customers and and we would never claim that targeting is a bad strategy but we do feel that reaching wide audiences is incredibly important for a couple of reasons the first is to build what is referred to as mental availability right mm-hmm. when you're when you're targeting growth you will invariably exhaust your target audience and so to continue growing you need to appeal to those who aren't already interested in buying it's about making your your product the first thing that comes to mind for consumers when they're in market for a product or a service like yours the second i would say would be the inherent accuracy of of hyper targeting you know mm-hmm. with digital marketing growing more complex the effectiveness of overly targeted ads is is really being called into question especially lately and i think the crux of this problem lies in the fact that the evolution of digital advertising is just making it I don't know, more challenging, I guess, yeah. to target the right people. And then I think the third and probably most compelling is is just that more reach just simply translates to more opportunities to convert, right? Mm-hmm. And a yeah. lot of times you have brands that are coming into television specifically out of digital, and they're so accustomed to target, 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 and find the science behind uh, response and conversion. And then they come to this top of funnel channel and want to want to do the same thing. But the the idea is that broader reach gives you a greater chance of conversion simply by exposing your brand to a wider audience. Mm. And I think that the reach focus objectives in thinking by a lot of marketers is just fairly antiquated. Those digitally native brands that know hyper-targeting as their bread and butter. But what I love about television is it sort of resets the opportunity landscape. We've tested and refined and tested and refined in digital, and then we come to a channel like television, and we had to let go of audiences or demographics or, you know, folks that maybe weren't working in digital, and it allows us to open the the net back up. And in a lot of cases, we see that be really impactful for brands to sort of reset what that opportunity could look like. So...
1: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra,
0: and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me
1: in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: But you talk to a lot of marketers. I'd love like <laughs> your, your take on it too. Do you think that the marketing role is leaned too far into targeting?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And it, it Unfortunately, it's still. I still feel like it's the louder voice in the room, at least in the U.S. And I don't know how we, how we, how we, how we get them to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, maybe it's more publishing of reports like you guys are doing. It's showing more data, more, more results focused. And but yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. It, there's this obsession with. I think the perception of efficiency that Mm -hmm. targeting provides you and it, you know, is coupled with the channels in which you can do it, you know, highly effectively or or perceived as highly effectively comes Mm -hmm. with measurement. And I I think, you know, coupling the ability to buy broader reach media Mm -hmm. and the measurement component. It may actually be the holy grail to get us off of this argument. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think your offer that you've got in the marketplace, like what you guys are doing, is pretty interesting approach.
0: Well, and I think a lot of it's tied to cost too, right? Yeah. So if on a CPM basis, you're looking at the ability to center your message towards those that you think are most likely to convert, you know, that mm-hmm. might make sense. But once you're looking in a more broad you know, strategy. Then you start to get concerned about the cost, which is mm-hmm. another finding from the report. Uh, yeah. That's just so important. So it's it's not that you can pay the same potentially for broad reach as compared to targeted reach. It's that that's definitely a component that comes into play. But if you can get the cost right, then you have the benefit of of what we would call positive spill which which we see to be very effective. You, of course, have your bullseye target. But a lot of times I think marketers outside of that bullseye target think everything is waste. And at the right cost, that's positive spill. So that's sort of how we try to lean into it.
1: I love that. I mean, so tell me, you, you brought up cost and mm-hmm. you think about the relationship between cost and ROI or return on investment. Tell me more about like the balancing act of that <laughs> that yeah. you kind of walk clients through. and. I love this notion of positive spill, mm-hmm. but maybe maybe a double click on on how that how you come to that.
0: Yeah, I think um, you know we have a saying in our organization that everything works at zero. So when you think <laughs> about positive spill, if you could get it for nothing, it would be effective. And mm-hmm. of course, we can't get it for nothing. But what could we get it for? Yeah, this one, you know, coming from my media background, always surprises me how often or how many marketers failed to simply look at the cost side of the media equation Mm -hmm. as a highly impactful lever in in making television work. And it's really why we created our AI media platform that we call Anika back in 2018, you know, as we found that the media landscape had just become far too complex to ensure that we were effectively buying with human Mm -hmm. buyers alone. Um, And so today we use both our AI in combination with our buying team to ensure that we are sourcing the most efficient placements, you know, in in front of our target consumer. But I think the first topic we covered lean into reach can sometimes lead marketers in the wrong direction related to their media planning. It's sort of natural to to try to just chase the eyeballs if you're like, okay, well, it's reached them. Right. So how do, how do I chase them? And and so we end up chasing these big tentpole TV events, award shows and sports programming and network broadcast primetime and, and all of those options have merit at the right time. But they're also most of the time, the most expensive way to get right. in front of your target consumer. And that target consumer also watches a lot of other programming. So... <laughs> Well, sometimes for a brand, for business reasons or whatever, that you know we need to be in Super Bowl programming. Great, we we absolutely do that. But in order to, on an ongoing basis, drive the greatest ROI for our campaign, we need to be a little smarter about how we target that consumer and how they see our campaign.
1: No, that makes sense. I mean, having balancing the reach and cost equation, Mm -hmm. the way you describe it, I almost think about it as a a jujitsu effect. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, you know, like it's like where can I get my target group of my audience that I'm looking for at a discount to some degree? Maybe that's the best way to think about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's balancing right those high. high cost premium media buys with with more cost effective ones and not limiting your media plan to the biggest networks using a mix of different channels to optimize both cost and reach. And again, with that AI in place, we've never had an instance in which a brand has come to us and we've not been able to gain uh, savings over their prior media buy. And there's just a lot, a lot of opportunity there. I mean, if we can, cut their tv costs in half which we often do we've effectively doubled their roi yeah
1: it's very true it's very true if the costs go down the roi goes up (laughs) automatically yeah yeah Yeah. that's amazing that's amazing i mean it's it's pretty phenomenal and if you think about i know there's been a lot of advancements in like just ability to buy tv over the years but at the at still seems I mean like a pretty inefficient process like with a lot of people involved and it it sounds like you guys have started to crack that nut
0: so well I think especially on the linear side right just yes an antiquated space and and right that's exactly like we we actually love to lean into something like that that's super complex and if you can use technology to to hack the system a bit and maximize if we if we can get in front of a target consumer for, you know, a 2 to $3 CPM. And that same mm-hmm. consumer is also watching something else that's a, that's a 15. You know, th- yep. those are the, that's where the money is made for the, for the clients.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I, the report also mentions like the importance of driving both the sales and the awareness through TV advertising. So like, can you give us some examples on how how brands can like manage that balance, if you will.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Mark Ritson earlier. I'm sure you're probably familiar with his his coined bothism, right? Oh, yes. the, yeah. The strategy of simultaneously driving both both sales and awareness through TV yeah. or or through any channel, really. And it's that balance focus of emphasizing both. So. As an example, you know, I would give one of our brands, nuts.com. We've, got, we've had a lot of brands do this well, but nuts was a company that leveraged the principle of bothism really well. They didn't just launch a TV campaign to boost their sales, they also endeavored really to build their, their brand's name in a new category, which was online snacking. Originally, when they came to us, they were really focused on more baking and pantry and yet they had a plethora of snacking options and we just felt like there was an opportunity there to sort of reposition and so within weeks of l- launching their campaign they started attracting new audiences and and driving that positive return on ad spend their national awareness increased more than 100% new customers increased by 166% and they were able to set a new company growth record but the super fun part is they also use the opportunity to reposition themselves as that online snack brand. And after that shift, they experienced 136% increase in their contextual brand saliency, 192% greater ad recognition. So they're a great example in that they were able to boost their sales, you know, immediate sales impact, and simultaneously elevate their, their brand awareness and really embody that principle of, of bothism.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, you can't get a better call to action and brand name all said in one with nuts.com. Right. I know. Yep. <laughs> it, it's funny to see them be successful in, in light of what maybe have happened around the two thousand period if you were if you were around then with like pets and other mm-hmm. other things. But mm-hmm. it's funny that you know you use nuts.com too because I won't say who, but there was a, a, a large company CMO that I was working with. And ultimately they must have been one of one of the people impacted because lo and behold, when gift baskets went out, what was inside but nuts dot com packages okay.
0: yep, yeah, I mean, they have funny. they have really expanded they're on airplane, you know they yeah. you'll get a little nuts dot com peanut bag, when yeah. you take a delta flight and yeah they've done a a great job of really leaning into the channel in the most you know effective way of of trying to grow both on the short term and the long term side of things
1: well and and the thing that makes it even and why i'm protecting the the uh the innocent here is that this same company largely uses traditional big linear tv type buys mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um it was just the the <laughs> the uh the ironicness of it i guess well,
0: And they, uh, if I recall correctly, I don't want to misspeak to it, but yeah. speaking back to how cost is so important,
1: yeah,
0: I want to say that in their first year, they exceeded share a voice for, for some of the largest names in snacking that you would recognize. So yeah. I, I won't call them out specifically who <laughs> right. they were, but right. the ones that are sitting on your shelves and your kids are asking for constantly, <laughs> some of those. So yeah. Uh, that's just where cost becomes really important in getting that reach.
1: That's funny. That's funny. Well, I mean, th- this is—I think what you guys are doing—and and I would encourage everybody that's listening to this to go check out this report. But the bundle and the the way in which you guys are getting clients and going to market and jujitsuing your way through the TV <laughs> landscape—it's pretty imp- pretty powerful. Pretty powerful.
0: So, Thank you. Kudos. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a fun journey. It's really rewarding. Right. Yeah. I, um, our entire team is so driven and motivated and seeing the business impact that we create for our clients is just the greatest. So we're, we're really proud of what we've done and, and excited about where we're going.
1: I love it. Well, one of the things we like to do is get to know you even a little bit better. We know you, you, your love of basketball already. Mm-hmm. But uh, my favorite question to ask everyone on the show is what has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I already mentioned it. it was just such a huge part of my life. You know, (laughs) the the role that athletics played, the hard work, the grit, lots of losses, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully more wins and losses in my lifetime. But Collegiate sports, especially, I would say, takes an incredible amount of not only physical but mental strength, and I really have to think that's played a role in in. I work at an agency, so <laughs> <laughs> agency life, like physical yes. and mental strength.
1: <laughs> yes, 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 and and just grit to, <laughs> to totally. get, get through the day. Um,
0: Absolutely, yep. yeah,
1: yeah. So, well, what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over?
0: Mm. I would give myself the advice probably to chill out. Um <laughs> what's the advice I would give my older self to chill out? You know, it's just uh it's a bit how I'm wired. I think there's a lot of us here at uh marketing architects that are, you know, type A wired for wired for results and it's probably what gets gives us a competitive advantage, but there are times when we all need to chill out a little bit and I think I'm not exempt from that. <laughs>
1: love it. love it. Chill out. Well, is there a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about or something you're trying to learn more about yourself?
0: There's a lot of chatter about this lately, so I hate to pile on, but I really wonder where we're at on the adoption curve with AI. Yeah. I'm probably biased in one of the best ways in that we did build that homegrown AI media platform in 2018. And so... I've seen firsthand how transformational it can be and the advancements in what's possible since then are kind of immeasurable. So I just really feel it's going to reshape the marketing landscape and mm. create unparalleled opportunities for marketers to enhance customer experiences, optimize campaigns, drive to just drive better business outcomes. I'm yeah. excited about it.
1: Yeah, no, I. It, it is, I think it will be pretty transformational as well. It's, but to your point about adoption of it, I think there is a lot of chatter about it. Yeah. But I'm not sure how many people are actually using it. Yeah. But yeah,
0: there's yeah. been a mix. I agree in conversations that I'm having. It's, I went to a conference. Gosh, it was probably six to nine months ago at this point. And it's it's definitely adoption is stronger now than it was then. But at that point hmm. it was still being discussed by some folks sitting around tables as as just a, a blip in time. This is a phase. And I was, I don't know if this <laughs> is a phase. Um but yeah, I mean how quickly is it going to be impactful, I think, is is one of the biggest questions. And I'm just so passionate about if we can leverage technology to do some of the things that are, are more mundane and, and start to dream up what could be, then what can our people do, right? Where yeah. can we put, where can we put that energy? And we've really, we've really smart teams. So it's uh it's a big bucket of opportunity for us.
1: I love it. Well, are there any trends or subcultures that you're following or you think other people should take notice of?
0: I get really excited about the discipline of category design.
1: Okay. Yeah. Are
0: you familiar with Clis- Christopher Lockhead and the crew over at the Category Pirates? I'm not, um, actually. Okay. No. Okay. So they wrote a book called Play Bigger, and it's it's all about category creation. Category leaders take 76% of the market cap, and the easiest way to be the category leader is to be first to market. So why not create the category? You definitely know category creators, Uber, Netflix, Tesla, et cetera. There's a lot of them. But yeah, they it goes... I guess category design goes beyond just inventing incremental improvements. It it involves introducing new ways of thinking and solving problems and mm. successful category leaders replace existing viewpoints with fresh perspective, attracting a significant portion of the of the market's value. And so he he emphasizes Christopher em- emphasizes that you know, entrepreneurs and CEOs should not only focus on building great products and companies, but also on strategically designing the category that they fit into, and that ensures that their innovation is is perceived differently from existing offerings, and it sets the buying criteria for the space. So it's fascinating. I love their stories. Uh, he has a podcast as well, Lockhead on marketing. That's great. He's a little vulgar at times, just a <laughs> bit of a warning, but it's it's good content.
1: No, I'll have to check it out. I hadn't mm-hmm. I hadn't heard about it, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, to use another friend of ours, Margaret, and he's pretty vulgar mm-hmm. at times too. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> uh, he's been on this show a couple times. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I'll definitely check that out. I mean, it sounds really interesting. I mean, it's like the blend of innovation, frankly, mental availability, and creating a new shelf in people's heads. <laughs>
0: yep, yep,
1: and execution, like making sure you actually get the results you're trying to achieve. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Well, last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Oh man,
0: that's a million dollar question, right? I mean, do, <laughs> do we know? Like AI, the economy, I, you know, I don't, would your guests in 2019 have answered a pandemic that might be around <laughs> the corner. So right. I think that's the challenge of of not just marketing, but but business in general. I mm. think that complacency, perhaps. In the same podcast that I share that I might need to chill out, I also give the advice to have healthy paranoia. I think agencies have a constant battle of customer acquisition and retention. We've been we've been fortunate to have eight years of substantial growth with only a little slight dip due to COVID. So one could look at that and go, why change? We're growing, our clients are growing, our MPS scores are extremely strong, but... <clears throat> In this space, our world changes so quickly. So yeah. perhaps one of the greatest threats we have in business is just our own success, right? Mm. Do, you, do you operate with the tenacity you have if if you weren't as successful? I think that's the challenge we have as leaders every day is to inspire in a way that's uplifting, motivating, and and maybe with just a slight paranoia that there's another pandemic around the corner. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I love the notion of do we even know what yeah, what, what yeah. we're gonna face next, and uh, it brings I don't know where I where I heard it. I'm sure it's like something related to workout regimes, but the whole notion of like getting better every day, right? right. Like, How am I gonna Absolutely. get one percent better today than I was yesterday?
0: Yeah, um, I love the growth mindset stuff, and yeah, and just you know, we're especially those that are so focused in data and have so much quote-unquote evidence to what they're doing is successful, I think it's easy for us to get a bit of like a status quo bias, right? That And we talk a lot at MA about wandering and making sure that we're challenging our own assumptions because we could be our biggest threat. So I love all of that. I, I think I, it's easy to get lost in, though, once you, once you start digging into whether it's LinkedIn or you're, you're over in an IPA report or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden uh, weeks have gone by and <laughs> been down and who knows what. So yeah, but that's how it. we grow.
1: I I agree well Angela thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a, a great conversation
0: yeah thank you Alan I had a great time
1: hi it's Alan again Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart and this is Marketing Today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig.